when we are ignorant of ourselves, we really cause hurt and harm in the world. And so I just think there needs to be a revival of Christians being willing to practice self-awareness, who are willing to look hard at your selfishness, tribalism, all of the things that we've been more formed by the culture than by Jesus, and to really practice repentance and, and really seek greater knowledge of God that we might grow more into the likeness of Jesus. I'm Tommy Thompson, and you're listening to Space for Life, a podcast with honest conversations designed to help cultivate the space we need for a more fulfilling and abundant life. Despite our culture being wired for excess and overload, our souls desperately need the opposite. Thanks for joining us today as we seek to take one more step into a spacious life. Hey, everyone. Uh, We are in for a real treat today, and this is an episode that I've been looking forward to uh, recording and sharing with you for some time. Um, Good friend of mine, Corey Widmer, is our guest uh, today, and I think that so many of you that are listening will know Corey and have probably been listening to Corey for uh, a long time, and I think we're going to just get a, a have a fun conversation about uh, you know the life behind him and everything. So let me give you just a little bit of introduction. If you're not, if you don't know Corey from here, uh, Corey is the senior pastor at Third Church Richmond. Um, he's a graduate of University of Virginia, and his early claim to fame back in the days when I was going to Third Church and, and Corey first came was. He was the study assistant under John Stott, you know, a very well-known pastor, author, and speaker. And now his claim to fame is just that he's Corey, which is great. Um, he's married to Sarah and has four uh, beautiful daughters. And uh, you're going to just find him to be a genuine, authentic person. And I'm just really looking forward to the conversation and and really learning some things about him and his life that uh, that I don't know. He's been really meaningful to our family. Uh, he met with my daughter Perrin in the midst of her cancer journey, and it was just deeply uh, powerful in her life. And so I, I appreciate what he does with his heart and with his ministry, but mostly just who he is. So thanks, Corey, for for taking the time out and joining me on Space for Life and look forward to our conversation together. Thanks, Tommy. So grateful to be here. Girl, super. Well, you know, one of the first things, uh, you know, a lot of people will know you, some not, but a lot of things I I love to do is just have someone uh, tell a little bit about their story. What, What got you to this place and time in life? What were some of the meaningful uh, turns, events that uh, that stand out in your mind in terms of your story? Gosh, that's a great question. Even just as you were doing the intro, for some reason, just um, I've never done this before, but maybe I'll frame some turning points, as you put it, or frame my story with three, three words okay. um, that sort of represent some significant stages in my story. Um, I guess the first word would be hope. I have a great family, was raised um, in a little bit of all over the place. Uh, born in Florida, lived in Connecticut, Massachusetts, outside of Chicago. Um, wonderful childhood. Uh, my parents are great people. 
Um, but when I was in middle school, my family moved to um, Southeast Tennessee and it, it triggered something in me. I have come to, I came to find out later that there is a really deep history. I'm going to, I'm going to just dump right into the deep end here. Okay, Tommy, I hope that's okay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I found out later that there's like a real deep history of mental health um, and clinical depression and even um, suicide in my family. And unfortunately I have that, I, I have that, that, that thread in me. Um, and that move when I was in middle school triggered a lot of that. And so I went into a deep, deep pit when I was uh, a young adolescent. Um, and I've always been, I think I've always been the kind of person that is either blessed or cursed with just wanting to ask a lot of questions about like why we're here, what's up with being alive, uh, why do I exist as opposed to not exist, what's the meaning of life. Um, and so I went into kind of a pretty deep reflective place where I just sort of felt like I was completely and utterly lost. Um, had a lot of anger and some severe depression, some suicidal thoughts and tendencies. Um, but out of that experience, um, I came to know the love of God through um, a youth pastor, through some mentors, friends, through church. Um, and all I can say is that, like, the hope that I experienced in that was so profound that um, I think that's why I became a pastor. I mean, literally because of what happened to me when I was a 13 year old kid is that I so felt like that God rescued me from such a deep pit that I just wanted to help other people be rescued too. Um, and so a lot of that has animated my life that, um, that I continue to be a person who struggles at times with mental health, uh, can continue at times to struggle with depression or hopelessness. Um, but I'm just so grateful for the hope that God has given me and his love for me in Christ that um, a lot of my life story has been shaped by a desire to extend that hope to, to other people. And so I do have a lot of um, special burden for people who deal with depression and mental illness just because of something that myself and my family has struggled with. I, I really, I mean, that that's, uh, that's quite a lot and I, I, I love and I appreciate so much your willingness to share share that so honestly because I think that people often look at someone who's a, a pastor or someone who is prominent in their faith and and assume that kind of what goes along with that is that uh, you don't struggle you know yeah. you don't have hard times you don't push through and, and still have to work really hard to to see well and um yeah in fact i think there's you know especially in the church of all places you know where you would think that we would be more open than anyone to talking about struggles um there has been historically quite a taboo in talking about issues like mental health um because there's been just a lot of platitudes thrown around like you know if you really trusted god you wouldn't struggle in that way, or if you could just pray more or practice these spiritual disciplines, then, you know, you wouldn't have the same issues that you have. And, um, and, you know, thankfully, I think a lot of that is changing. I think that in the Christian community, there's a lot more willingness to talk about those places of struggle. Um, but I, yeah, I feel like it's part of my personal mission to tear down that, tear, to tear down that uh, taboo. Um, and so I am, 
you know, in my, my openness about those struggles as a pastor and often doing it in the pulpit has really helped, I think, create hopefully a culture of greater vulnerability in our church, but also has helped maybe other people feel more free to be able to get help and talk about those things. Um, well, that's great. And I, and I love that that first word is hope because, you know, you, you want to bring that to the Christian community because that's what you so deeply want to define your life. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. So that's my first word, hope. Um, my second word is grace. Um, and the reason I thought of that word, Tommy, is because so I became a Christian in middle school out of that real low period of depression. And because I, I got real zealous about Jesus real fast. Um, <laughs> and so I became like the best Christian ever. And, and I was like, I was like the star you threw kid. And I was, uh, you know, like every, you know, mom wanted me to date their daughter because I was so good. Um, and I just, that became my identity. Like I was like this star Christian. First team um, American. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but the problem was is it created this, like, honestly, now that I look back on it, it just created this, this is what the danger of religion. I mean, it can just create, it created this like serious hypocrisy in my life where, you know, I was dealing with all the same kind of struggles underneath the surface that any high school kid struggles with, but I was just suppressing it all and hiding it. And like, it just a whole lot of self-deceit because I just had to keep up this image of this good Christian kid. And so it actually wasn't until I got to college. Um, and I just, I, I remember the day I, I was with, with, I heard a talk and I don't even remember who the person was, but he said something like, um, maybe your problem is, is that, you know, he said something like Jesus came to save sinners, but maybe your problem is that you don't actually think that you're a sinner, that when you think about your life and you think about your list of sins, there's nothing on the list. Um, and your biggest problem is that you're so damn good. And I, and I, and I, and I thought about that and I just thought, oh my gosh, like that is my problem. Like I am so damn good. Like I'm not, I'm not the younger brother in Jesus's story of the prodigal son. I'm the older brother and I am just gloating about my goodness and I'm outside. Um, and I need to be saved from my, my goodness. And so it was like, it was, it was almost like a second conversion that I realized that, um, that grace is the basis of the Christian faith. I mean, I would have said that, like, if you asked me, but I didn't really believe it because I didn't live that way. I believed that I actually lived that my own damnable good works, as C.S. Lewis puts it, yeah. was the way that I was saved. Um, so anyway, I just had like almost a second conversion where I realized that I was saved by grace. Um, and that's why I became Presbyterian, you know, I don't want to get into like doctrinal stuff here, but like, I love being Presbyterian slash reformed because we believe so deeply in grace that there is truly nothing that we can do to earn God's love, that his favor to us is entirely on the basis of his love for us and Jesus, that there is nothing we can do to earn it less to, or to diminish it and, or accelerate it in any way that we are fully uh, and utterly in love and embraced by God. And that is a complete and total finished fact. Um, so that's another I think big theme of my life and, and why I love to preach um, because I love to preach about hope. I love to preach about grace. Um, and I had a real conversion in a way to grace. I'm so glad that God saved me from being um, so good because that was my biggest problem. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and I can't think of ever having talked to someone for whom faith is not prominent in their life who said, you know, those Christians just bother me because they're, uh, you know, they're so full of grace, you know, 
It's, it's always <laughs> that we think we're yeah. better. It's always that we think we're better, yeah. that we communicate. Yeah. We're trying not to the truth that we think we're better, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it, it's, it's the most distasteful thing that you can yeah. ever communicate. And yet that's the core. I know. And it, I mean, to, to put it, the flip side is another way to phrase what you said. I've never heard someone say, you know, I became a Christian because I just felt so judged by those Christians and how good they were that I just decided I had to become one too. Like said yeah. no one ever, no one <laughs> said that, you know? Yeah. So, and this really relates to the first, the first word of hope, because if you, the more, you know, you're saved by grace, the more, you know, that your life, your whole life is just deeply grounded in grace, the, the more free you can be to admit your struggles and you can admit like your areas of, of great darkness within you because you don't have to hide anything anymore because you're not saved by your performance. You don't, you're not saved by your religion. You don't have to pretend you don't have to put on a facade. You don't have to be a hypocrite. You could just be real because you're saved by grace. That's all, you know? So, so that's been a real foundational shift for me um, in my faith that I think has animated my life. Mm -hmm. That's um, great. So and then I get, yeah, I guess the last one would be, you know, I thought of the word justice, but maybe I would, I would use a biblical word, uh, which is the Hebrew word Shalom. Uh -huh. which means wholeness or flourishing, which I think is a more biblical way to describe what God means by justice. And I, I, you know, I had a real, I had a powerful experience in college where a group of friends, dear friends who are actually still my dearest friends in the world, you know, some of them, people like Danny Avula and right. Mashton Lawson, we just Aria and folks like that, um, that we experienced together um, through uh, spring break mission trips Um a movement of Christians, this was specifically in Mississippi, run by a guy named John Perkins. But to see the way that their understanding of the gospel shaped the way that they thought about things like racial reconciliation, the way that they thought about poverty, the way they thought about community development and how affordable housing, it was the first time I began to realize that um, my trust in Jesus Christ, that my belief in the gospel of Jesus doesn't just impact my soul and you know my future destiny, but actually should shape the world, shape that the world is profoundly broken by sin and God is out to fix it. God is out to heal it. God is out to heal everything that is broken, whether that's broken racial relationships, whether that's broken cities, whether that's broken economics, whether that's, um, you know, broken communities, that the gospel is a big gospel in which God is at work healing all creation, healing the world. And so that has really shaped me over the years. And you know, for years, I, you know, for eight years, I pastored a multiracial church in um, inner city Richmond, where that I was part of with these friends that I mentioned. Yeah. Um, and even today, I'm, I, I, a lot of my passion is about helping um, build bridges between broken and divided communities, whether it's the black and white community or communities of different um, socioeconomic backgrounds and divisions. Um, real passionate about unity of the church in, in Richmond. Because I really believe that um, Jesus died and rose again, not just to get to us to heaven when we die, but to be a part of a movement of reconciliation, renewal, and restoration in the world, and that I get to be a part of it. Um, so that's another big theme, uh, God's shalom, his restoration uh, work, that, that that's another big theme that has shaped my life. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that, that's so uh, fantastic. And maybe I'll dive in a little deep in with that. Sure thing. Um, you know, uh, you you have had such an impact um, in the Richmond community with 
that theme of shalom and and the things that you've done. And yet there's been so much um, that it seems to me in particularly the, the last few years where the unity of the church, that the threat to that is equally the threat of the divisiveness between uh, people more conservatively oriented mm, and, mm-hmm. and people more liberally or progressively oriented. However, right, right. Communicate that. How do you how do you uh, see bridging that divisiveness? Mm, mm. It's very challenging. I mean, you're so right. This the last two years have been uh, two or three years. You know, you combine things like how polarized our politics has become and how in the age of how what a polarizing figure Donald Trump was, even within the Christian community, and then put on top of that um, the pandemic and the way that Christians were responding in various different ways about the pandemic. And then you combine, and then you throw in that the Me Too movement, and then you throw on top of that um, George Floyd being killed in the summer of 2020 and all of the racial justice conversations. I mean, it has just been like been one, one thing after another, after another, after another. Yeah. And I think every church has deeply struggled with um, how Christians are grappling with these issues. And so it's been, I mean, I've, I've found it to be very, very challenging. And I mean, what I am, what I exhort my friends and our people to do is to say deeply grounded in the gospel um, because the gospel is not right. I mean, the gospel is not conservative. The gospel is not progressive. The gospel is not Republican. The gospel is not Democrat. Um, the gospel is not beholden to any uh, human agenda. The gospel is not even just like a middle way. The gospel is an a different way, an upside down way so no altogether. Yeah. 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 And so what I often say is like, look, if you're if you're like a more conservative disposition and like when you watch Fox News, like it makes a whole lot of sense to you. Like you need to be asking yourself, like, how is the gospel deeply challenging the the sort of innate conservative way that I see the world? Like, where where can I let it challenge me? Where can I see that, you know, um, maybe there's there's things that I am not seeing in the way that my world has been shaped, that, that the Bible and the gospel is could deeply challenge me on in the way that I'm interpreting this racial issue, for example. I say to my progressive friends, you know, you listen to NPR, you listen, you know, you watch MSN or NBC or whatever, you know, where does, where, where are the things that the gospel needs to deeply challenge you on in recognizing that you are perhaps also being more deeply shaped by the culture and by the voices that you listen to rather than the word of God. I just think it's really important that all of us are inhabiting like deep postures of humility right now, because we're so prone to attack each other and accuse each other and draw lines and defend ourselves and Form tribals, tribes over and against each other. So I think the greatest thing that we could do right now is to cont- is to repent a lot, um, to have a lot of self awareness, to deep humility, recognize that you know I'm probably wrong about a number of things, and I have things that I need to learn and listen to, yeah. uh, and keep working to see the way that the gospel is actually challenging us to a new way altogether. That's not the conservative way or the progressive way, but is a different way to deal with all of these issues, whether it's politics or race. Or whatever, um, but that's very challenging because I think we all just want to our pro, our proneness is just to kind of snap back into our tribes. Yeah, and, and it's one where I guess I I feel personally drawn back to your second word, grace. Mm, yeah, yeah. None of us get it right. No, we're all we're all wrong in certain different ways, and unfortunately, I think you know a lot of these issues. Uh, draws to an immediate spirit of judgment. 
totally the other person wherever that other person is and if 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 we can just begin to offer grace to the mm. person who's different whether it's grace that they're wrong or grace that I don't know whether they're wrong and I don't know whether I am or wherever they are, you know, that, that grace, if, if that could just pervade yeah. conversations, it would even allow us to have conversations that right now we can't because we just get too angry at each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. I think, I think the opposite mistake that Christians sometimes make is like, they say, Oh, you know, let's just focus on, on what really matters. Let's just focus on Jesus and not even talk about these other things. Like, that's not what I'm saying. Like, I do think that Christians of all people should be grappling with issues of race and justice and economics and politics. I mean, we should be. I mean, we have and we have deep riches of history and awesome resources in our theological traditions to really grapple with this stuff. So I'm not saying like don't talk about tough or controversial things, but exactly what you're saying, Tommy, like the 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 foundation of, of grace, the foundation of the gospel should give us what we need to have a foundation that is deeper than our camps, right? Like if our deep identity is in the fact that I'm a Republican, then I'm always, I'm never going to be able to have an actual conversation with a Democrat or vice versa. But if the deepest foundation of my identity is Jesus Christ, then my political views become secondary to my deepest fundamental identity. And we can actually talk about, you know, those issues of controversy, but it doesn't ever threaten what is the deepest level that connects us, which is Jesus Christ. And when it does threaten us, we can offer ourselves grace and the people. Yes. Just, yes. I mean, this is really, really tough stuff. The Very. church and challenge like no time in my memory. You know, yeah. It, I mean, I have pastors, I have retired pastors coming up to me saying, Man, I'm so glad I retired three years ago. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> this is the worst thing ever. <laughs> so, yeah. And I'm like, can I retire now? <laughs> Gosh, boy, I bet you feel that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great. It's just, uh, you know, we, we all do life so imperfectly and mm. just have to, we have to let go of that, you yeah. know, and yeah. I know you, you know, you, you're put in a position that you have to stand up in yeah. one fashion or another. Yeah. And, and, yeah. you know, unfortunately you're also in a day and time where, when you know when you stand up even in the church you're going to have a lot of people who aren't going to be happy about it yeah yeah that's hard that didn't used to be the case i know i know yeah it's it's not a it's 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 i think i think it's just not it's not just pastors it's any leader right now any leader um i think is tempted right now to sort of go the easy way which is sort of keep your head down and um just try to make peace um and it is part of our vocation to be peacemakers, but you know, peace, that word shalom, is not the same thing as conflict avoidance, right? right. Um, we have to talk about these things. We have to put our necks out. We have to, we have to proceed and go the direction that we think is the biblical way. Um, and a lot of times that'll bring conflict. And then we have to be willing to engage in the conflict and really listen to each other. Um, but every leader, I think, right now is that leads any institution. I mean, I have a one of my my best friend. Um, is the head of a boarding school and it's not a Christian boarding school. It's just a secular boarding school and he's dealing with it there. So it's just, a, it's a very challenging, and I know that you have many leaders who listen to this podcast. There's, it's just a very, very challenging season for leaders um, to either not completely burn out on the one end or just completely yeah. 
you know, like a turtle, just sort of go into your shell and just self-protect. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very challenging. Yeah, exactly. And it would be really great to to have a, a more lengthy conversation, you know, uh, about this, and perhaps we can do it, you know, at another time. But I think it um, what it causes in me is this sense that in this day and time of frenetic turmoil and mm-hmm. conflict and distraction and rage and all of these things going on, it's more important than ever that we find ways of creating some space, some yeah. space for God to enter in, some space for relationships, some space for, for joy. Um, and, you know, you're in not only a profession, but you're in a season of life that makes that as near impossible as it can possibly mm-hmm. get, you know, four, four daughters, the, the job, Sarah works. I mean, there's so much. So, so I'd love to just hear, how do you, and I'll frame it this way. How do you very imperfectly mm-hmm. find some space to stay centered? Yes. I'm very glad you said very imperfectly because <laughs> I'm aware that in this in this particular discussion, my the gap between my ambition and my reality is quite large. Um, so, um, but yeah, I uh, I think that what you're saying, I mean, it is just so vital more than ever because of all the reasons you said, not just because of um, the stressful season that we're all in, but because of the nature of the culture that we now live in, that it's just nonstop frenetic all the time, pounding, pounding, pounding like the, yeah. um, it's just, it's, it's becomes all the more important, as you said, to stay rooted or centered or whatever language you might use. Um, so I am quite rigid about these practices because I know that if I don't maintain these practices of creating space in my life for rest um, in retreat and refuge, um, then I will burn out. And I've been on the brink out, the brink of burnout like several times over the last two years. Um, and it's really, I think, God's grace through some of these practices that I've been able to, you know, kind of keep putting one foot in front of the other. Um, so some things I do, um, you know, I try to have like sort of daily, weekly, and I guess you would call seasonal practices of disengagement where, um, my my uh, spiritual director likes to use the word benevolent detachment. Um, yeah. I love that because there's a difference between apathy or cynicism and de- and benevolent detachment. Because you know, you know, apathy is like I don't really care about anyone or anything. I'm just going to go like watch Netflix. And benevolent detachment is you are detaching, you're disentangling your identity from the demands of your life and the demands of your people, the demands of your institutions but you're doing it in a benevolent way. You're doing it because you know you ultimately don't need them for your own identity and they don't need you to be them, right? You're detaching yourself and rooting yourself in the love of God. Um, so what I try to do, you know, every day, um, I, I practice um, what's called uh, keeping the hours. Um, it's sort of a monastic, an early monastic form of um, prayer. So, um, I just try to basically like, you know, in the morning, I do the same thing every day. I wake up, I exercise, 
uh, and I sit, you know, I sit in silence with God for maybe just 10 or 15 minutes, usually read a Psalm. Um, but then what has been key for me is practicing, keeping that same rootedness in God throughout the day. So at 10 AM, I'll pause for a minute or two for silence and centeredness in God. Um, after lunch at midday, I take another 10 to 15 minutes at 2 PM or 3 PM, whenever I can, another one or two minutes. And then in, in the evening before I go to bed and it, what I have found is that that greatly helps me more than maybe what I used to do is just have like a quiet time every morning. But by the time I was, by the time I got to lunchtime, I was an atheist, right? I had forgotten. <laughs> I had forgotten God. <laughs> yeah. And I was trying to do life on my own. Yeah. So I have found by instead, by instead of having like one long quiet time a day, I have like multiple short, very brief check-ins with God where I am silent before him returning to my rootedness in God, returning, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branch. I'm returning to the vine. Often I'll use that breath prayer. I'll breathe in, I'll say, you are the vine, breathe out, I am the branch. Just returning again and again to my truest identity, which is that I am in Christ, Christ is in me. So um, real, real practically, how do you remind yourself? I mean, that's that's a bunch of reminders. Do you have? Yeah, well, a lot of it is habit, you know, like you just sort of getting habits. But I do have a I do have a timer on my phone that goes off at 10 and at 2 every day. Okay. And and, and then I always remember, you know, my morning routine is exactly the same every day. So I always do it in the morning. And then and then it's in literally in my calendar, uh, purse it, you know, after lunch every day. Um, so I just sort of build those habits. I'm not saying like I get it right every day. I mean, there's a lot of days where I'll miss stuff, but it just keeps me um rooted, returning to the vine, returning to the love of God, returning to my true identity in Christ. Um, and there's other things I do, you know, um, like I'll, I've taken email and social media completely off my phone because I found that I have an addictive personality with my, with my phone. Um, and, um, so it just, I'm laughing, obviously, I, because I, I, well, I realized this when I tried to do a technological detox and I took off all the apps, like almost every app on my phone. And I just found that I was checking the weather like 29 times a day because like I was so addicted to looking at the phone. There was nothing, there were no apps left on my phone, but the weather. So I was just, <laughs> I just kept checking the weather. <laughs> so, That's so, um, so I try to, I, I, I try to use my phone just, just for the very basic things, you know, like texting and podcasting and, um, and then, and then weekly rhythms, I do sort of try to take a Sabbath. I'm sure that some of your other guests have talked about that. I know that you're a fan of that. Tommy is um, just having a a period of my week for me. It's um, from about Sunday, about 2 p.m. whenever I get home from church, because for me, Sunday morning is not Sabbath time for me. It's major work time. So whenever I get home from church, 2 p.m. to 2 p.m. Monday, I take sort of 24 hours where I just completely detach all technology. um, And I try to do something at least during that time that I genuinely enjoy and find just the light in, you know, um, uh, and then seasonal, um, I just have seasonal times where I, um, retreat, you know, a couple times a year, have a personal retreat where I just remind myself, like, what are my purpose in life? What are my priorities? What are the things that are most important to me? Um, and am I living my daily life in alignment with my greatest purpose, because 
um, like Andy Dillard said, how you spend your days is of course how you spend your life. Right. So I want to make sure I'm spending my days in the right way and having like seasonal times of retreat is a great way to just keep yourself aligned with what actually is important to you. Cause if you don't, you'll just start living for money or pleasure or comfort or power, yeah. or whatever it is that Americans live for. So, um, well, that's, that's so helpful. Um, I feel like there's this um, uh, almost overly spiritualized way of thinking that, you know, that we shouldn't need really practical in the weeds, things like habits, you know, to keep ourselves centered. If if it was deep enough in our heart, we would, you know, we would be able to do it or we shouldn't have to use hacks like getting rid of things off of our phone. And and I'm a believer in that. I yeah, know. I mean, it's funny you say that. I just, I just heard this, you know, C.S. Lewis's book, uh, Screw Tape Letters. Yeah. Um, I just heard a quote this morning that I don't think I remember reading, but what the devil is talking to, the superior devil is talking to his younger de- devil's mentor, and he says, "Well, I heard that your, you know, your 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 client became a Christian, but don't worry, all is not, you know, all hope is not lost. Um, it may be that he says that he's a Christian, but don't worry, all of his habits." Are still directed towards us. Yeah, yeah. Such a powerful line because like we can, we can actually say we're Christians, but our habits are so oriented towards deformation, towards ways that, that lead us away from God, away from the kingdom, away from Jesus. Well, so it, our, our habits are the most powerful. About, yeah. yeah. It's, you talk about the culture is continuing to throw it at us so that even someone like yourself, and, and I've, I've been a Christian for 40 years, I still am working at this thing hard oh, yeah. day after day, trying to find new ways because the new attacks coming, you know, the new apps coming at us every time, the new challenges that are, are trying to infiltrate us. And so no matter how long you've been working at it, if you let your guard down and stop these practices thinking, ah, oh, you know, I've kind of grown beyond that, man, it'll, it'll get you the very next day. So I, I love just the yeah. practicality of, you know, keeping the hours and practicing the Sabbath and the retreat times. Cause I, I think outside of those very practical things, you know, we're toast. <laughs> I, 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 I have been, I have tried to live my life without those things and I was toast. So, so yeah. Yeah. um, yeah, yeah, I, I totally am with you. Well, that that's that's great. I mean, I just love the stuff that you have to share because I, I think that we look at at people in certain positions and and we just think that they're they've come to be bigger than that or stronger than that. And and you know, we hear these stories and we find out we're all we're all strugglers. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So, well, I'd love to just maybe in, in closing, uh, I mean, I love what you've shared about Shalom, and that's clearly um, something that you feel very passionate about. Is there anything else? Because, you know, I know that you, your life is one that's incredibly filled with purpose and passion. Is there anything else that you might share about that, that you just feel really strongly mm. about that? Uh, 
either worries you or angers you about the culture that that um, mm. that um, you feel drawn to? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, a couple things. Um, and I don't know why this came this came to mind, but um, maybe it's because I've been thinking and reading about this recently. I preached a sermon about it recently, but um, um, I I am longing for, um, and we already mentioned this a little bit earlier, but for more and more Christians to practice really what is the ancient discipline of of self awareness of un, of I mean I think we we talk a lot about knowing God. Um, which is really, really important, but few of us know ourselves. And I think that there's some nervousness about that because, um, you know, it sounds like we're talking about like pop psychology or, um, you know, I don't know, stuff, fluffy, fluffy talk about self-awareness, um, makes us nervous, but I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about sort of pop psychology. I'm talking about the kind of stuff when John Calvin and the Institutes writes, there's two knowledge, there's there's two forms of knowledge. There's knowledge of God and knowledge of self. And to know God is to know thyself. And to know thyself is to know God. Um, and that when we are ignorant of ourselves, when we're ignorant of our sin, when we're ignorant of our propensity to hurt and harm, when we're ignorant of the way that we might have the propensity to tribalize, like we talked about earlier, or to protect ourselves by um, judging other people, we really cause hurt and harm in the world. And I, I'm just so tired. I'm so sad of hearing how Christians, people who claim the name of Jesus, are just bringing harm to the glory of the gospel and to the work of the gospel and to the name of Jesus because of the way that we behave, <laughs> because of the way that we mistreat other people, because of the way our bad behavior, because of, frankly, the lack of the fruit of the Spirit. And so I just think there needs to be a revival of Christians being willing to practice self-awareness, who under, who are willing to look hard at your propensity to sin your selfishness, tribalism, all of the things that we've been more formed by the culture than by Jesus, and to really practice repentance and and really seek greater knowledge of God that we might grow more into the likeness of Jesus. So that's just kind of a, a bone to pick that I have right now that I just, I, I long for Christians to be more humble um, and for the Christian church not to be known for its self-righteousness, the American church not to be known for its self-righteousness and judgmentalness, but for its radical humility for how quick we are to repent, for how aware we are of the ways that we've harmed each other and harmed historically, you know, vulnerable people and how willing and ready we are to, to seek healing and repair and seek to become more like Christ. So um, that's a legacy, you know, early Christians, the, the word for um, the word for the Greek word for kindness is very similar to the Greek word for Christ. And so in the early church, sometimes Christians were mistakenly called the kind ones. Um, oh, wow. And I just think that's beautiful. I don't think yeah. anybody would say that about most American Christian church today. That Oh, they're the kind ones. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. what if that's what we were known for? Yeah. Um, is our kindness that issues out of a life of humility before God. So yeah. I love that. And I think of Psalm 139 and, you know, you have this incredible. Um, oh, yeah. Beautiful to 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 uh, to God being, you know, in the intimacy of everything, and then search me and try me, God, know my anxious thoughts. Yeah, 
Uh, yeah, there's an, he's that. inviting God even into the darkest places of his life that God might illumine, shine light on those things. And, yeah, and, and that deep connection between that self-awareness and the awareness yeah. of the ever-presence of God in every knit a little part yeah. of us. So yeah. that's just, uh, yeah, that's great. I love that. Well, thanks so much. Uh, gosh, we could go on for hours, but uh, we both have things to do. So uh, thanks so much for sharing. These are just words we all in and out of the church so desperately need. So I appreciate everything. Always appreciated everything that you uh, that you do and the passion and your commitment for it. And uh, so thanks for being a guest. And I look forward to continuing conversations. Thanks, Tommy, so much. Appreciate it you and all you do for not just us in Richmond, but for all the people who listen from all over the place. So thanks so much, Tommy. Great. Thanks, Corey. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I hope that you found it helpful and encouraging in your journey. Before you leave, I wanted to let you know of two things. First, if you are looking for more helpful content like this, visit TommyThompson.org. There, you will find resources created to help you find space in your life. Second, if you are enjoying this podcast, I would love it if you would take a minute to leave a review. This helps other people find the show as well.